There are many ways to demonstrate for peace. Some acts may be grand with large audiences and flashy props, but just as important are these smaller acts that are intimate and humble. Christoph Di Maria, an artist, educator, theater maker, leaned into his skills and began a regular demonstration of peace on Instagram, speaking to a small audience. This began with reading names of people, mostly children, who've died in Gaza and evolved into reading passages from Jonathan Dyke's book, Acting Out, Voices from the Theater in Palestine. Christoph, thank you for joining me to talk about the power of performance as an act for peace. Good morning, Sina. Thank you for having me. So why did you begin this series of video demonstrations? Oh, I suppose it began simply because I met Jonathan Deitch. Um, you know, he was on a short tour of the continental U.S. and found himself in Troy. He lives in France with his wife and is active there um, after being active for, you know, over a decade in Palestine and Israel. So having the privilege to meet him and learn more about his book and the time that he spent there, as well as some of the people he's associated with, some members of our community, um, I was I was really taken by the everyday story of these interviews that was so interwoven with the narrative of resistance and how that was applied using theater as not only an act of resistance, but also just an act of empathy of, of sharing their story and using it as a way to connect to other people who are struggling similarly. Um, in the age of post COVID, which we're not really post at all, right? I mean, this is still a big deal for us here in 2024. So much of our media is consumed uh, through our phones and other screens and while I am part of very large movements, I helped organize the interfaith peace walk that happened on New Year's Day here in Troy. I found that these more intimate sharings speak to a different part of a human being. Um, there's something that resonates with, you know, a tiny door in your heart that opens up and says, ah, 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 I know that feeling or I've been there before or I can I can really relate in some small way. And you can use that as a touchstone to connect to the much larger fabric of what is like coordinated and organized resistance. So, you know, I'm, I guess what, in, what inspired me was to try to bridge the gap between what is someone's like personal relationship to this movement in their everyday life? And then what are these like massive um, societal shifts that we want to see? And, and how do we connect those? And theater, theater really is that way, right? Because it requires an individual to participate in a group that communicates a story and an idea that is much larger than themselves. And in the case of, you know, what I've been reading in this book, specifically with like the Palestinian people and all their complexities as people in resistance, but also just as people as part of a global culture and a global context, um, which if you follow along, you can see. The inclusion of reading from acting out voices from the theater in Palestine was only included a couple videos in. So it began with just taking a moment, a deep breath and reading the names. So the way that you just answered, it sounded like it it was the original intention. Did you always hope to build up to reading the book or did you just do something and figure it out as you were going along? 
I mean, isn't that what we're all doing all the time? Right. Yes, you've actually, thank you for clarifying that. No, it did not begin with the book, right? I spoke to specifically the book, but it, it began with the reading of those names. And that honestly was like, this is the smallest act I can do. And this is the most consistent act I can do. I can sit down and I can read these names and give them their 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 space and time. Um, you know, I think about how many stories will never be told and how many children will never grow up and, um, you know, will never experience joy. I mean, so many of these children weren't even born. Okay. And um, I suppose it was the smallest act for me as a person, but it had enormous impact because I could keep reading for 40 years, it seems like, and these names would not stop. And they're not stopping now. And, and I suppose that was the, that was the gesture there was to somehow describe the mundaneity of it while uh, gesturing at the immensity of it, while also realizing that like it's ongoing, even though those lives have stopped, the stopping of lives is not stopping. So in a performance like this, a demonstration, um, does it begin as like an act of a moment for yourself and then it just you come to the realization that other people are affected in the same way so I guess the question is do you come at it thinking about the audience or do you come at it thinking about what will do for you both I mean it's ritual so you know and theater is is often ritual so any ritual the participants have to come to it you know as themselves, in themselves. And so, yes, in a way, I was doing it for me. It was a grieving process. It was a process of absorbing and reflecting th the understanding of this loss of life. And I find that with others, it's so often that we feel we're alone in these kinds of feelings. And with mourning and grief, it often right, is very isolating but so many people are experiencing the same thing. So when you perform the ritual, in my mind, that is also an invitation. It's an invitation to just listen, sure. But it was also an invitation to pick up lists of names yourself and begin reading or mourning and grieving and informing the world in your own way. Um, you know, so really it's, it's both. But I do just start with myself and see what happens and then respond you know, to that, almost like when one throws uh, a pebble into a pond, it's going to create ripples. But then I'm going to use those ripples as the design for how I throw the next pebble. As somebody who does theater here in the capital region, what were some of the stories that really stuck stuck with you? Oh, boy. Um, I suppose overarchingly, one thing that stuck with me is, right, this book was published in like 2021. Several of the interviews took place um, from like 2010, 11, you know, right up through uh, 2020, 2021, um, including some journal entries with some, some theater makers that Jonathan is in touch with that are ongoing. Um, the importance of this is that it points out that while October 7th and the days following felt very new for us here in America, just the same way that when um, you know, Ukraine was first invaded by Russia, it felt very new. These things have been ongoing for a really long time. And so many of these theater makers 
talk about how they became active in 1987, okay, the year I was born. I'm 36 now. And began their prominence in 2005, you know, or um, have been going on for so long. And each of them mentioned the occupation as a consistent part of what surrounded them, the context of their work. Even if their plays were not specifically addressing the occupation, rehearsing and performing and, you know, doing workshops with children under the occupation had these enormous impacts. So first off, longstanding struggle and that the Palestinian people are not a monolith. And we tend to think about it in terms of, at least in this country, it would seem Palestine over here, Israel over here, conflicting like this, but it's really not. There's so much more cultural exchange that has been happening for arguably, you know, hundreds, if not much, much more uh, time that has passed. And so it's important to note that theater <laughs> is also that old. And um, it makes me question, you know, what, what, how, how far back theater in Palestine has really gone. But in terms of this modern expression, we we just have so many, so many examples of how this is really just an example of their everyday life, right? Um, and theater in the United States isn't as indicative of that. It's very much more. A specific story to tell. It's a performance that may be tied to entertainment, or you know, if it is a specific story that's being told in a specific place and time, it kind of puts the audience in that place and time. But here in this book, I can open to any chapter and read about the work that they've been doing and say, "Oh, this is applicable," you know, then and now. I appreciate seeing your demonstration, your reading, learning about this through your Instagram. So thank you so much for joining me. Just before I give you the last word, could you give us the name of your Instagram so listeners could see the video if they'd like to? Yeah, more people want to get uh, tied into it. It's at Raliachi. That's R-A-G-L-I-A-C-C-I. You can follow many of these, many of these artists on their own Instagram pages. Right. And get real time updates of what is happening to these theaters today. Um, you can certainly make the choice to purchase this book, which I believe is available um, both through the website of the author himself and through Amazon and other means. And, um, and just come talk to me. You know, one thing that I really want to encourage is this digital medium to become in person. I want people to be sitting in a circle reading these excerpts. I want them to be talking about what forms of theater we here may want to create that are relevant to this struggle as well as others. Um, and to be interpreting and discussing this book in houses of worship, in resistance meetings, like in other places where this topic is being discussed. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs>